This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Six months ago, the world descended on Glasgow for the COP26 climate conference. No more blah, blah, blah. No more whatever they're doing inside there. Since, there have been constant reminders of how we urgently need to tackle the root causes and impacts of global heating. The dire emergency in East Africa, the drought there exacerbating the hunger crisis. Extreme heat is gripping large parts of India and Pakistan. Queensland is tonight bracing for a flooding emergency. The world is now a very different place. There are serious hurdles ahead. Yesterday, back in Glasgow, COP26 President Alok Sharma urged countries not to let these new crises from Ukraine to the cost of living hold us back from making progress. We must honour the commitments made at COP26. Failure to do so would be an act of monstrous self-harm. So, halfway through this vital year, how are we doing on our COP26 commitments? And can we get back on track in time for COP27 in November? I'm Ian Sample, The Guardian's science editor, and this is Science Weekly. Fiona Harvey, as an environment correspondent, you've been closely watching and writing about what's been happening since COP26. First, let's go back to Glasgow in November last year. As the meeting wrapped up, the tables were taken down, the rooms deconstructed, what was the feeling about progress made at that meeting among the delegates and environment reporters? How successful did it seem to have been? It was very successful because we came away with a resolution that countries would work this year on more stringent targets that would take us to 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming uh, above pre-industrial levels. That's really important because we know so much more uh, about the disasters that 1.5 degrees of warming would bring. So getting that agreement was a big step. So things were actually looking well, not, not, not brilliant, not perfect. It's a crisis still, but there was significant diplomatic progress there to build on. 
So it was looking good. And at that time, the UK's mantra was cash, coal, cars, and trees. I wonder if we could look at each of these, starting with the thing that makes the world turn money. Just remind us, what were the big financial promises made at COP26? The big promise is that developing countries must receive uh, financial assistance to help them to cope with the impacts of climate change and to reduce their emissions. And crucially, we got an agreement that the amount of finance that's going to adaptation to help countries cope with the impacts of climate change uh, would double. The money that's easy to get is money going to richer developing countries, middle-income countries, to help them to cut emissions. That's things like wind farms, solar panels, and so on. That produces a return on investment. Helping the poorest countries to build seawalls or uh, mangrove swamps or whatever else they need to protect against the impacts of the climate crisis, that's really hard to finance. And this is the long-standing promise made in 2009 to provide $100 billion a year. That's right. We haven't quite got there yet. We were supposed to get there in 2020. But we do know from COP26 that we should get there next year. As well as this, Fiona, there was a lot at COP26 on how international financial institutions should help to move money away from fossil fuels into green technologies and that financial assets should be aligned with net zero goals. Is that promise being made a reality yet? Well, that's not happening. Um, We had a lot of businesses at COP26 saying, uh, look at us, we're great, uh, we're really green. But actually, an awful lot of banks and financial institutions have signed up to these uh, green and net zero targets while still financing fossil fuels uh, to the tune of tens of billions of dollars. Um, And, you know, they're even pouring money into coal the dirtiest fossil fuel. And unfortunately, the agreement on uh, with businesses that was reached at Glasgow does not force them to stop. So it's a little bit toothless there. And of course, now with the Ukraine war and so on, we're seeing a bonanza for fossil fuel companies um, and they're cashing in. And The Guardian's just done this big investigation into something called carbon bombs, which really shows where the money is going, that it's still going to some of these places. Tell us what these carbon bombs are and what they have to do with the sort of role of cash in the climate crisis. That's right. My colleagues Matthew Taylor and Damien Carrington have done an amazing investigation into these carbon bombs, which are these mega projects to produce fossil fuels, oil, gas, coal. And these huge projects, if completed, would lock in emissions for a very long time. Because, you know, if you open a new coal mine or you start exploring a new gas field or oil field today, and then that's still going to be producing in decades time. And there's nearly 200 of these things. We heard last year from the International Energy Agency that if we were to stay within 1.5 degrees, we had to stop exploring for new deposits of oil, gas and coal. And if these projects do go ahead, if we do keep using these fossil fuels in such vast amounts, what does that mean for these temperature targets we've set, 1.5 C, so on? We would definitely go through 1.5 degrees. Even at the moment, without these projects coming to fruition, we still uh, have only a very narrow chance of staying within 
1.5 degrees. So that would be absolutely bust. We would go right through the two degree limit, which of course is the upper limit in the Paris Agreement from 2015 and is regarded as the outer limit of any sort of stable climate. We'd be looking at probably more than three degrees, at which point you've got absolute chaos, an unlivable planet essentially. And it's abundantly clear that every fraction of a degree counts. The higher we go, the more chaos we unleash and the more climate change becomes irreversible. So it's not good news on coal and other fossil fuels. That leaves us with cars and trees. Now, I'd like to expand the cars a little bit and instead talk about transport more broadly, planes, trains and automobiles, if you like. What kind of progress have we seen for transportation since COP26? Unfortunately, not much. We are seeing a bigger take-up of electric vehicles. But on the other hand, we're seeing supply problems because of the supply of of raw materials from Ukraine uh, and from Russia. We're not seeing enough of a return to public transport after the COVID pandemic. What you need to do is make public transport cheap or free to get people out of their cars. And that needs to happen faster. Fiona, we're going to skip trees because we're doing a deforestation deep dive on Thursday's episode. So let's go on to what happens now. We've recently learned that there's a 50-50 chance of exceeding that vital threshold of 1.5 degrees Celsius of heating in the next five years, which is shocking. Clearly, we need some big moves and, and need them soon. The UK has six months left of its presidency. What do you think it needs to be doing now to help the world get back on track? So we are seeing still a continuation of diplomacy from the UK. Alok Sharma, who was the president of COP26, he is continuing his frantic travel schedule around the world. He's working very closely with the Egyptians, who are the hosts of COP27. But all of this is hampered by what's happening in Ukraine. The rising energy prices that we're seeing, the rising food prices, the cost of living, these are creating political problems around the world. The benign geopolitical situation last November created a broadly successful COP26. The awful geopolitical situation now is unlikely to produce anything like that. So Fiona, there's clearly massive hurdles in the way of COP27. But what are the key things that really need to be on that programme regardless In theory, every country should be coming to COP27 with a new plan that would bring down greenhouse gas emissions in line with the 1.5 degree goal. Unfortunately, with the geopolitical situation as it is, it looks unlikely that every country will do that. However, there are some bright spots. For instance, um, the European Union, its response to uh, the war in Ukraine has been very firmly uh, to look towards increasing renewable energy production and improving its energy efficiency in countries like India as well. We're seeing a, a massive build out of solar. So we are seeing these moves around the world. But unfortunately, Russia's aggression in Ukraine gives cover for countries who don't want 
to uh, reduce their greenhouse gas emissions, who have a vested interest in the status quo. And Russia itself, of course, is a massive producer of fossil fuels, also of methane. It's a very powerful greenhouse gas. Russia is one of the biggest producers of methane because its oil and gas infrastructure is so leaky. If they were just to, to capture some of this methane, it would make a huge difference. Will they do so? Well, look at Vladimir Putin. Do you think he has any interest in this? At the last COP, you emphasised how important it was for us not to write off this process and look at what's been achieved. What are your thoughts on actually turning all of our promises and words into action now? This process is incredibly important because it does provide an international framework uh, for countries to reduce their emissions. Uh, It's the only framework that we have uh, for getting the kind of consensus across the board uh, and countries to work together. It's really important that we think about developing countries at this time because they're the ones who are facing all these problems and they're in a bad shape to cope with what the climate crisis is throwing at them. When the UN talks about climate change, that's the only time when the people in developing countries who are suffering the most from this crisis are able to come face to face with the people who are causing the climate crisis. And so it's incredibly important that we keep the UN process alive and healthy. Fiona, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks again to Fiona Harvey. We've put links to her coverage of COP26 and the climate crisis on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. While you're there, you'll also find links to The Guardian's Carbon Bombs investigation. For more on Carbon Bombs, our sister podcast Today in Focus will be taking a look at those mega projects later this week. So definitely keep an eye out for that. And in other news, foodies rejoice. Our podcast, Comfort Eating with Grace Dent, is back for a third season today. And it's going live for the first time. Grace will be on stage on Wednesday the 25th of May at 7pm in Islington, London. Her special guest is entrepreneur, podcaster and TV personality Jamie Lang, whom you may know from his time as a regular on Made in Chelsea. You can book your tickets now at gigsandtours.com. That's it for today. The producer was Madeline Finlay. The sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. And the executive producer was Isabel Rugal. We'll be back on Thursday with that deep dive into deforestation. Biodiversity reporter Patrick Greenfield will be taking us deep into the rainforests of South America. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, They're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.